0: Inside, you'll discover the low tech system that 30 x my online business. Just go to freetrainingvideo.net to get started. Again, that's freetrainingvideo.net.
1: Welcome to the Blogging Your Passion Podcast. Here are your hosts, Jonathan Milligan and Bob Lodick.
0: All right, welcome to another episode of the Blogging Your Passion Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Jeff Goins from GoinsWriter.com. Welcome, Jeff
1: hey jonathan great to be with
0: you great for those of you who are not familiar with jeff uh jeff's a best-selling author writer blogger uh, a few of his works include you're a writer so start acting like one um uh, actually jeff i had it on the kindle and i think i highlighted the whole thing to be honest <laughs> with you i don't i, don't, I think there just kind of there's diminishing returns when you highlight too much yeah but uh but I enjoyed the book, and he's actually also got a more recent book, Wrecked, When a Broken World Slams into Your Comfortable Life. Um, he's also recently made the switch to a full-time blogger and writer, and that's actually the focus on the topic today, is we're going to be talking about how I became a full-time writer from Jeff Goins' perspective. Uh, if you guys want to check out the blog post, you can go to goinswriter.com forward slash full dash time, and Check it out and read it yourself. So we're just going to kind of work through um, this blog post. I added a few questions in there for you, Jeff. Um, just really appreciate your time and being here today.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm delighted to, uh, to be here and to share a little bit of my story with uh, your listeners.
0: Great. Well, you mentioned step one, and I know you talk about this a lot, and I'm sure this is probably where a lot of people have the most challenging time is step one is turn pro. And I really see this as, and you can elaborate, but I see this as the mindset shift that a lot of people have to go through. I know for me, talking to a lot of uh, bloggers, uh, they struggle in this area, wondering if, if they have anything of value to add or anything like that. And so my first question to you would be, why do you think many people fail to start in the first place? whether it's starting a blog, writing a book, why did they fail to start?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I, I blogged about this topic uh, recently and, and somebody uh, commented and, and said that um, it's not so much you know failure to start as it's failure to commit. And I think that's true. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I've been saying that for a long time. Hey, you just need to start. Um, the hardest part is starting. And I do think that's true, but I think um, a lot of people who endeavor to um, do anything, be a writer, um, you know, become an entrepreneur, do something that requires a lot of risk, even just changing vocations or, or trying to um, you know, take it up a notch or you know, just moving your life priorities and values around in some way that can be um, hard and scary to do. I don't think it's failure to start. I mean, I think that a a lot of people feel like they are starting, but they're not finishing. Um, But I would say that what most people consider starting, I really think of as like a false start. And so, um, you know, uh, I I didn't fail to start blogging. You know, I didn't fail to start writing. Um, In fact, I was doing a lot of that. I, I think I started at least nine other blogs um, over the course of about five years before I started CoinsWriter.com uh, and, and really saw no significant results whatsoever in terms of readers, response, e- even you know my own personal feelings about it. And the uh, reason for that what, wasn't because I hadn't started, it was because I hadn't really committed to following through on this. And I think that this is true for most dreams that we have Um, we're afraid not just to start, but to fully commit to the dream, to the endeavor, because then if it fails, I mean, if we go all out and it fails, then what does that say about us? You know, I mean, it says that we're failures. Whereas if we don't really completely try and we fail, well,
0: you know, oh, well, I wasn't
1: really that serious about it anyway. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think starting is hard, uh, but I think a lot of people feel like they are starting, but what they're not doing is they're not committing. And I saw significant uh, results pretty quickly when I decided to commit to the path of becoming a writer. And that meant um, not committing to a lot of other things that were um, distracting me so that I could focus on, on this, this pursuit. In addition to everything that else that was going on in my life, and you know, I still had a full-time job, uh, I was married, I had you know responsibilities. Uh, outside of of writing, but um, you know, but a lot of other hobbies and side passions and fun little things I did on the side really took a back burner for a season because I was tired of starting and stopping, and I wanted to follow through, and so I decided to really commit, and that's when I started to see a big difference.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and I think you're dead on. It reminds me of a um, illustration that I think impacted me a couple years ago. Um, where this, this trainer was trying to teach these wannabe trapeze artists uh, how to just fully commit. And one of them was having a lot of fear and anxiety over just going for it. And his advice to him was, throw your heart over the bar and your re- the rest will follow. And I think a lot of times it echoes what you're saying about just fully committing and jumping in the game. So. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, that leads me to this second question. You talked about this a little bit, but many writers or bloggers don't think they measure up to everyone else. I hear this a lot. I hear people say, you know, I don't want to start blogging in my niche because there's already so many other good bloggers out there. They're already talking about the topic. How do you overcome what some call that fear of not being good enough?
1: Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, I say to that, join the crowd. You know, <laughs> if, if you feel like you're not good enough, then congratulations, you're probably an artist. Um, you know, I, I like what Ira Glass has to say about this. Uh, he says, if you um, are uh, creating crap, you know, you're creating work that you want to be good, but it's just not there. And you're constantly struggling with this feeling of I'm not good enough. Well, I um, you know, take heart because it means that you have good taste. And um, when we all start out wherever we're starting from, um, there is this gap in between our skill and our taste. And uh, Ira Glass goes on to say, you know, just you got to do a lot of work in order for you to close that gap between um, what you, you know, what, what your taste is and what your ability to create is. And so I mean that's not a bad place to be. I think it's a good tension to have. Um that said, I, I think that most artists that I know um do struggle with this tension even after many, many years of, of practice and and repetition. And um, you know, I, I think the reality is uh it, it's um it's a tension to be managed, not, you know, um something to uh you know, gave up on and, and so um, I, uh, I, I, the first thing I do is I take heart whenever I feel like my work isn't good enough or when somebody else feels that way, you know, I say, take heart, um, you know, it, it means that you, you have a high standard of excellence and, and compare that to, um, you know, the vast majority of people who have fairly low standards for whom good enough is, is good enough, you know, mediocre is will, will do the job, um, those of us who really have, have, have good taste that, that's just not good enough for us. And so um, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, that's, that, that sort of sentiment isn't something that everybody has. And if you don't quit, it's the kind of thing that, that moves society forward, you know, and challenges the world to think differently about, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, a great example of this is, is Steve Jobs, who was a perfectionist. And, and certainly that perfectionism needs to be tempered and, and based in reality uh, but at the same time, it was that staunch, we can do better than this, you know, this isn't good enough, um, that set a new standard in the technology world that, um, for many years was not understood and, um, you know, frankly, almost bankrupted Apple, um, but now, uh, decades later, they're, um, you know, they're on the leading edge, they're one of the most profitable, uh, successful companies in the world, um, you know, so, uh, Having high standards is is not a bad thing, and I mean that's that is kind of the the first thing to wrap your head around you know when you feel not good enough. The second part of that is um uh, you know i I base it on this quote from Leonardo da Vinci, where he says, uh, "Art is never finished, only abandoned, and so you have to understand that it, it is a part of the creative process that when you create something, it never feels completely done." never feels 100% excellent or good enough you can always you know revise a chorus to a song or rewrite another draft of your novel um, or tweak that blog post which you know mo- most bloggers are very familiar with going back and just tweaking a few things um, you can always tweak you can always make it better but there comes a point where you have to decide um, this this is good enough to share with the world I'm going to ship it or I'm going to abandon it. And, and I think the really sad thing is when people let this tension get out of control, they don't manage the tension, and they abandon their work instead of sharing it with the world. And sharing it is scary because you run the risk of somebody maybe thinking it's not good enough or it fails or people reject you. I mean, there's all kinds of scary things associated with it. Uh, so there's a risk there. But the riskier uh, choice, I think, is to not share it because you're risking you know, the fact that this could change someone or something it could move something forward in our culture or, or our world and your choice to not share because you're scared of getting rejected um, you know that that to me is scary there's a high cost associated with that and I would um, I would rather risk being rejected than risk um, you know not sharing something that could literally change a person's life
0: yeah and what you said right there I think was so powerful because if, if our focus is on helping others and adding value to others instead of wondering if we're going to be accepted or rejected, I think it's, it's, it's much easier for us to move ahead and ship things if, if our desire and our heart's desire is to really help others and add value as opposed to just being focused on us.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's humbling because you realize this work is not about you. It's about um, others, and, and so you are a conduit. You are a vessel. Um, you are a means to an end. But it is not all about you. And um, you know that's that's hard uh, to wrap your your mind around. But when you do, it can be very liberating. You know, you can write a book or a blog post or a song or build a business or something, and it not be perfect, but it be perfect for the people that it's meant to serve. Mm. And and you can gr- get a lot of satisfaction out of that. But if you're constantly trying to be good enough and please everybody because you want some sort of validation, um, you know, you never win that game.
0: Mm. You, when you were talking, uh, it reminded me of last summer I got to attend. Uh, John Maxwell did a, a special one-day um, writers conference. And he gave everybody in attendance his very first book he wrote. Mm-hmm. and he said that the the reason I gave you that book is so that when you read it you'll be encouraged and the reason why he was wanting to encourage everybody is look where I was in my first book and look where I am today sometimes you just got to get started and you will grow and get better as you move along
1: yeah i've re- what what was the name of that book
0: i think it was um was it think on these things i yeah. believe something like that um about your thoughts um so
1: I- I've read some of his early books and they are rough. Uh, <laughs> and uh you know they uh full like I have a book that my wife gave me years ago it is full of typos it's <laughs> it's rough. Um but but you know he started and once yeah. he started he could you know um he had a baseline to improve upon and if if you don't ship something if you don't share your work if you're always abandoning it because you're waiting for it to be finished, um, then you never have that baseline. You never have that foundation from which to grow, which is unfortunate.
0: So that step one is about turn pro. It's really a lot of it is that mindset shift that needs to take place. Step two, you talk about practice in the margins. And I, I really see this as carving out or finding time to pursue your dreams. And what would you say to someone who wants to write a book or start a blog but they think, I'm too busy, or I don't have the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've stopped trying to argue with people about that. You know, like, if you want to do it, you're going to do it. And if you don't want to do it that badly, you know, it's like, it, like I would uh, like to, um, you know, learn how to snowboard. But but I don't need to learn how to snowboard. I don't really truly want it more badly than I want other things. And so I'm not really willing to put the work in. And frankly, I'm okay with never learning to snowboard. But I think the thing that I can't do is I can't um, sit and bemoan and lament the fact that I don't have enough time to learn how to snowboard. Uh, You know, that something always seems to come up and and I'm still not snowboarding. Because the reality is if I wanted it bad enough, I would... um, I would make some time and I know that's true not because of my own life but because I have friends who have you know six or eight kids and are, are doctors and and writers and, and and all these different things and they still find time to do the things that are important to them. You know I have a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon who um, you know uh, adopts kids from China in his free time and and blogs and writes books and, and travels quite a bit uh, you know all with uh, out forsaking his full time job and it, and his you know responsibilities as a dad, but you know he understands that there are some passions that he has that he has to answer. And so, I mean, I think the reality is the time is there, uh, waiting for you to take it. You just need to recognize it. And so, for me, I wasn't recognizing the margins, which is why they're called the margins. They're kind of on the outskirts of our days or our schedules. And they're seemingly small chunks of irrelevant time that we're wasting. And I was wasting my time, you know, watching a 30 minute TV show or, you know, checking email for 15, 20 minutes, you know, just killing time because what could I possibly do with any value in that time? And so, um, when, when the pain of not writing, um, finally become, became greater than the pain of finding some time to write, I sat down, looked at my schedule and found some blocks of time uh, that I could grab and, and write for a little bit. And so sometimes it was 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Other times it could be an hour or two, but the point for me was whenever I could, you know, get some repetitions in, um, I was going to do it. And so, uh, um, you know, I think that that, that's really um, what it takes is you have to, be willing to find the time and and, and stop giving yourself excuses. Um, and, and it's not to say that we're not busy. We're all busy. I, I, I get it. But you have to decide, is this that important to me? And if it's not, like, say it's not that important to me right now because, you know, I, I'm a dad and, a you know, a, a, a school bus driver and whatever it is that you do. Like, here are all my responsibilities and these are more important than writing um, and, you know. Uh, but if it, if that's not the case, or if you have you know uh, you have this desire to do this thing, whatever it might be, say it's writing, um, uh, be willing to have eyes to see the the little blocks of time they're there waiting for you to grab a hold of and you just may not have recognized them before.
0: Hmm.
1: As an example for me, I was sleeping in every day to seven am. And, uh, I realized, you know, if I go to bed a little bit earlier, cause I'm not spending all, you know, uh, uh, I'm not really doing anything productive from like 10 to 12 PM. I'm, I'm zoning out. I'm not even reading cause if I'm reading, I'm falling asleep. And so I'm watching TV or, or catching a movie with my wife and, you know, I kind of chalk that up as quality time, but it wasn't really that quality of time. And so, um, I decided to go to bed earlier Um, and and wake up earlier. And I realized that I had a block of time that I wasn't using from 5 to 7 a.m. every morning um, that could be used for writing. And, you know, there's something magical about getting up early or even staying up late. But for me, getting up early is much more significant because I'm up. I'm ready to go. Um, I can't say, oh, I'm going to go to bed and and do that tomorrow because I'm up for the day. Um, Very few people are calling me or emailing me or trying to distract me at 5 a.m.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so it's a perfect time to do something that I I might otherwise have the intention of doing throughout the day, but just not get to,
0: and I started that myself, I I guess it was probably about two years ago, and absolutely loved it, I mean, there's nothing more exciting than it being, you know, seven or eight o'clock, and you've already knocked out some of your bigger to-dos, It just, it's just energizing,
1: It's like that that workout high or that runner's high you get when you do something at the beginning of the day and, you know, like calories are burning while you're just sitting at your desk, you know, because of, you know, how, you know, amazing metabolisms work. And I don't completely understand it, but it's that that thing where you did something, you got up and worked early on in the day, and now you just get to live off of that high for the rest of the day. It's almost like I could slack off for the rest of the day and I, (laughs) I still feel good.
0: You know, one of the things I loved about this post also was right in this section, you talked about the value of frequency over quantity and how, you know, the power of small regular repetitions um, over necessarily having a volume of work or or space to work. Can you talk about, uh, I guess, for you that, you know, the value of frequency over quantity?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the more writers I talk to, more professional authors I talk to, the the more rare I realize that this um, uh, perspective is. Most writers that I talk to are pure artists, and and they need, um, you know, they need hours, big chunks of time to take a deep dive into their content and just kind of, you know, swim in in their you know, fictional worlds or, you know, their characters or whatever it might be in order to, you know, get the story or the inspiration or whatever it is that they, they feel like they're called to write. And um, I just don't relate to that. Uh, I, I get that. I understand that. There are times when, you know, writing for 30 minutes at a time is just not enough to, to get what you want down. But for those of us who are just starting or trying to make a, a habit of writing so that we can get better so that someday hopefully something that we write is actually worth reading the best thing to do is just find a little bit of time to do it every day and I think that we see that this is true in um, uh, you know in in exercise that it's better to, to exercise more frequently um, in, in shorter amounts than it is to you know spend three hours you know once a week lifting weights or running or whatever um, you know, that is basically, if that's all that you do, I mean, your body's not really going to, um, uh, uh, build much muscle or burn much fat. Um, because it's just, it's too much concentrated effort into, um, a single amount of time that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it's not natural. It's not natural for you to to overexert yourself all at once. And then, not do it for, you know, five or 10 days, you know, later. Um, so same thing's true with writing. It is, um, better to just write a little bit every day than it is to sit down and, you know, write a whole bunch. And what I found was I was actually able to create more content doing it this way. You know, I used to write once every week or every other week and I would write something like 3000 words, you know, a lot of content. Um, but I would only write when I felt inspired and and all the conditions had to be right. And I'd write something that felt, you know, genius and then I wouldn't revisit it for a month or so later and then I would hate it and I would throw it away and, and you know, go back to the beginning. Whereas um, uh, when I started writing about 300 words a day, every day for a year, I found um, that I got better, you know, every day I got a little bit better. And by the end of the year, I actually had a lot of work, you know, I had hundreds of thousands of words, um, that I'd written just little by little, um, day by day, um, over time. And I also found that it was much easier to write for longer durations of time and to write more content in shorter blocks of time. And so I, I started writing, you know, uh, a thousand or more words in, in, you know, 30 minute blocks because I was practicing, I was finding ways to get more intense and more focused and shorter blocks of, of time. And so if you want to build muscle, if you want to create a habit, if you want to get better at something that, you know, you feel like you're just kind of starting out in, uh, just find, you know, a small block of time. If you, I mean, I recommend 30 minutes. Um, that's a that's, It's been proven developmentally and psychologically that if you do something for 30 minutes a day uh, consistently, that in a matter of months, um, it's not only a habit, but that you've really... Acquired a new skill, um, and uh, it's just a great, great way to build a, a skill and, and create a habit, and and kind of create that foundation we're talking about, from which you can, you know, build an, into something that you can be proud of.
0: Yeah. So step one was turn pro. Step two, practice in the margins, finding time to pursue your dreams, and then step three is about transitions, building a bridge. And maybe you can share a little bit of your personal experience here that might be a help to those that are out there. I just I got some of these questions even this last week from a few readers, um, so I I know people would love to to hear maybe your perspective on some of this. But what advice can you give about pursuing your dream and still doing your day job well?
1: Yeah. So it, first of all, it's hard. I mean, you know, I've heard lots of people talk about. Um, you know, the ideals and, and sort of dichotomize this um, uh, this experience of having a day job but having a, a dream job that you're trying to pursue. And I find that um, people either say, you know, it's completely easy to work on your dream on the side and honor your employer and never get distracted by this thing that you really want to do but maybe only get to do for 30 minutes a day whereas you're spending eight hours doing this thing that you uh, don't love. And that's just easy. And it's not easy. But the other side I see is uh, people tend to demonize your day job, and, um, and you know, it's just something that you need to shed as quickly as possible and go do what you really want to do. And my experience was uh, somewhere, you know, that kind of fell in between, where I really liked my job. I really um, enjoyed the work that I was doing and felt privileged to have a job and to be able to do something that had purpose, you know, I wasn't working in a a cubicle. I mean, I had a, a desk job working in marketing and communications for a nonprofit. Um, but after a couple of years of, of reflection, I realized you know this isn't what I want to be doing anymore, and so I need to find a way to build a bridge between where I am right now and where I want to be. And so, um, so that's what I did. I mean, I, I started. I, uh, first thing I did was I looked for an opportunity at my current employer to to do more writing. And when I talked to my boss. He gave me some opportunities to edit, you know, to help him work on a book and to do some things, do some side writing projects. But when I, when I saw the opportunities that were available, I realized, you know, what I really want to do, there's not a place for that here. There's not a, there's not an outlet for me to, um, apply this skill, um, that I, that I have, that I, that I'm wanting to build, um, in a way that leaves me completely satisfied. So, you know, the first thing that I think is is good to do is, you know, is there a place where I can do this at my current job or even just get a little bit of practice? And so that's what I did. I did find some opportunities, but I, in pursuing those opportunities, I realized what I really want to do is I want to be a full-time self-employed writer, you know, and with all the risks that are associated with that, that's what I want to do. And so I realized I have, I can't, I can't do this under the umbrella of my employer. I've got to, start something on the side. And so that's when I started my blog and started looking for opportunities to build that out. Um, so when I started doing that, I uh, pretty quickly went to my boss and I told him what I was doing, explained that I wouldn't be doing it on work time, but I wanted his permission and blessing, partly because um, you know our organization had a, had a standing policy that any intellectual property you create while employed uh, by our organization, essentially belong to the organization, um, which is not an uncommon, you know, legal agreement to have. And so, I mean, that's something that is a little bit technical. But I really encourage people: if you're going to go create intellectual property, you're going to start a blog or a podcast or something, and you're employed by somebody, read the fine print of your contract or your, you know, employment agreement. Um, you know, read your manual, whatever it might be. Uh, and get clear on that and make sure that if if there is some sort of policy where they have, um, uh, you know, a right to your intellectual property, that you have them waive that before you go create, you know, a year's worth of content that you want to turn into a book or something, only for them to say, yeah, like, we actually own that. And you can't do anything <laughs> with it. Because that's going to be really frustrating. Mm. And so that was the second thing I did was I got permission so that when they uh, saw me doing this thing, you know, when they saw me basically... Um, doing what I was doing for, for them, you know, building a, a website and building an online audience that wasn't directly associated with my employer, that they would understand what I was doing and I go, "Oh yeah, that's the thing that we talked about," and not think I was, you know, trying to jump ship because I really wasn't. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't set out to quit my job, but I did realize I'm gonna ha- I'm not going to be able to do this nine to five. I'm gonna have to be. I'm gonna have to do this on the side, and if it grows into something. You know, later on, great. But in the meantime, I've just got to, um, I've got to do this. Uh, you know, on the side, and then um, probably the the third part of of that bridge that I was building was when things got be- things kind of became really fun, uh, where my blog started to t- take off more quickly than I thought it would, and, um, and you know, my employer noticed. And, you know, my boss was really encouraging in that, and we sat down and talked a couple of times and said, hey, you're, you're learning a lot about this stuff that, um, you know, that you didn't know before, or that you hadn't practiced before, and so is, is there a way that we could kind of mutually benefit from this? And so, so basically, um, because my, my, my boss, my day job, gave me the blessing to go work on a blog again, in my free time on the side, but, you know, in a way that I could retain that intellectual property and eventually get a book contract and do all of these great things while employed by them, um, I was able to turn around and say, you know, here are some of the things I'm learning about the Internet and web marketing and how to build an online platform and, you know, some of these things that I think could actually benefit our organization, which led to the creation of a new job where I helped build another team that... um, Focused on, on online communications, particularly writing, and so um, it was. It, so that we did this for about a year, where um, uh, I was I was afforded more freedom to build my platform, and we basically used it at, as research to then have me turn around and apply it to my day job and and help the you know nonprofit organization that I was working for, and and that was fun. Uh, I I I felt. Honored to do that because I felt like you know my employer had basically given me the freedom to go do this. I didn't feel like you know they were stealing from me or anything because I, they were giving me the opportunity to go do this without having to get paid for it, uh, which gave me a lot of freedom to you know grow and, and you know experiment and try different things and fail um, without worrying about um, you know how I provide for my family. Um, and it was just fun. It was just fun to be able to do that and, and share. and um, yeah, so it was it was a good thing. So um, that's that's what I call building a bridge. Instead of jumping out into the unknown, you can it takes a little bit of time. I mean, it took me about two years to do that. Um, but when you build a bridge, it's secure. you know, when you when you jump out into the unknown and try to land on the other side, You're hoping that you can run fast enough and jump high enough and fly if you need to. Whereas if you slowly build a bridge, now you've got this steady, sturdy thing that leads, that connects you to the other side where you want to be. And if at any point you want to go back to where you came from, you can do that. And so, you know, when I left my job, I, I did it again with the blessing of my boss. I wanted to make sure that we both agreed that this was the right step for me. And, and he told, I mean, I, I wanted to be sure that I didn't burn any bridges. He told me, he says, you know, if, um, if this doesn't work out or if you, you want to stay, uh, you know, you want to ever do a project together or something, we, you know, we would always love to work with you. So um, not every employment relationship is like that. I totally get that. But I do think that the, you know, bottom line is that, um, you know, don't see your employer as an unnecessary enemy In getting you to your dream, and a lot of uh, cases, they want to encourage you to pursue your passion because they can benefit from it in the short term. And most employers understand that they're not going to have you for forty years, you know. Hmm. And so you can um, both, you know, work towards your betterment and um, you pursuing your passion in a way where both sides can benefit, mutually benefit.
0: Well, let me ask you this. I appreciate you being on here. Maybe these listeners listening right now i'd like to connect with you Uh, maybe you can if you don't mind talk a minute about tribe writers i think it's currently closed i believe it might be your second class maybe if i'm tracking that correctly um, or not you can let me know but maybe mention a little bit about that or anything else you got going on right now
1: yeah thanks i appreciate that jonathan um yeah so i mean the best place to find me is at my blog which is just goingwriter.com there's a big opt-in box as soon as you get on the homepage where you can enter your email to get on to my um, exclusive newsletter. You can choose whether you, or not you want regular posts sent to you or just the weekly newsletter. Um, but uh, that's the best way to, to connect with me. I, I try to be very generous towards my, um, my tribe of, of subscribers and um, you know only send helpful, useful information. Um, the course that you mentioned is, is an online course, uh, tribewriters.com. And yeah, that opens um, every few months. I do an, an eight-week class with a uh, you know a group of students, and we actually um, counting our charter group, which was like the group that started the course and helped me figure out what content we were going to put in the uh, in the course. Uh, we'll just have finished up our third class, and um, we're about to open for for the fourth one, you know, in, in a week or so. So you know, by the time that you're listening to this, it might be open. But you can go to tribewriters.com. You can enter your email there to get on the waiting list if it's not open and you're gonna get a free lesson sent to you and you can kind of get a taste for the course if that's something that you know you might wanna might wanna do. And and that course is just me basically sharing this journey that we talked about, this two year journey of how I built a platform that allowed me to quit my job, support my family, live my dream, you know, do all of that as as a full-time writer. Um, I put all of that into that course, you know, on the practical steps I took to to get there. So um, a lot of people have found it really helpful. I get a lot of positive feedback on it.
0: Awesome, great. Well, Jeff, again, thanks so much for being on the podcast, and appreciate you sharing your story.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan.